Hines Education Foundation's Get to College program. Based in South Haven, Jackson, and Ocean Springs, Get to College advisors help students and families plan and pay for college. Learn more at woodwardhines.org. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, April 22nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, measles in Mississippi. We'll hear from the state health officer about just who could be at risk. Plus, as a school district is taken over by the state, it's a reminder of the haves and the have-nots in public education. And after Everyday Tech, hear about an effort to get unused prescriptions off the streets before they can become a danger. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Some Mississippians are at risk of exposure to measles after a man with a contagious case traveled through the state. On April 9th and 10th, the man went into multiple locations in the Hattiesburg area. On a teleconference, State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs outlines the man's activities and says anyone exposed to him is at risk. A contagious case of measles transited in Mississippi between April 9th and April 11th and had multiple locations of visits. We have identified numerous individuals who were exposed to this man during his infectious period and are monitoring them closely and have given them instructions about about what to do. There are two locations in Mississippi that are of concern where members of the public may have been exposed to contagious measles and we're trying to get the word out to make sure people would know that they might possibly have been exposed at these locations during these times. The first was on April 9th at the Subway restaurant inside the Circle K on Highway 11 in Hattiesburg between 2 and 4 p.m. On April 10th, Raising Canes on Hardy Street in Hattiesburg between 10 and 11. April 10th, Raising Canes, Hardy Street, Hattiesburg between 10 and 11 p.m. Dr. Dobbs says people who think they might have been exposed or who have symptoms of measles should not simply go to a doctor's office. Instead, Dobbs says to call ahead to your health care provider or emergency room to get instructions. If you were someone who might have been in these locations and you developed potential symptoms of measles, which would maybe start out with fever, cough, runny nose, red eyes, and then progress to rash. If you do develop symptoms potentially consistent with measles, Please call your physician or call the emergency room and let them know that you might have been exposed to measles. It's very, very contagious, and we don't want people who are contagious with measles going into crowded waiting rooms or crowded emergency rooms. Measles is actually contagious for days before symptom onset and certainly days before rash. So it's important to know that just because you don't have a rash doesn't mean you couldn't have measles and you couldn't be contagious. The other thing is uh, make sure that you're up to date on your immunizations. Um, for, for most individuals who want, you know, two, two shots of MMR, and, and you can contact your physician or medical provider to make sure that you're, you're up to date. Um, again, measles is extremely contagious, and we also want the, the public at large to be aware that measles is actually is a, is big outbreaks across the world in the United States. So this may be an ongoing concern, and certainly we'll be communicating more with the medical community to make sure they're fully aware and prepared. There have been over 550 measles cases in 2019 so far, which is more than the reported number of 372 cases for all of 2018. 
In other news, a resolution in a lawsuit challenging the racial makeup of a Senate district is now in doubt. Attorneys for Governor Phil Bryant and Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman filed papers asking the entire Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals to hear arguments in a redistricting lawsuit filed by black plaintiffs. The lawsuit challenges Senate District 22, which stretches from mostly black and poor parts of the rural Delta into mostly white and affluent suburbs outside Jackson. Secretary Hoseman talked about the appeal process. It is on appeal at this point. Um, The lower court ruled um, that we had to redistrict, and um, it was appealed to the Fifth Circuit. And there has been a hearing scheduled, I think, for the first week in June. Uh, to be argued in bank. That means before the whole court, the whole Fifth Circuit. So it'll it'll end up down at the Fifth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals uh, probably in the next month or two. It's terribly confusing for voters here, unfortunately. Um, uh, they've moved the district around from a couple of different districts. And, and the Senate, to its credit, went back and redistrict uh, in the case, in case that the court uh, ruled against the state of Mississippi. Uh, that they they would have a district that would be qualified, and so they have one on hold basically right now until this this matter is is resolved finally in the courts. Again, I understand if you if if this isn't a question that you can answer, but si- since the Senate took that action, why continue with this appeal process? Why not just let that go into effect? Well, this goes back to true the vote, and uh, if you remember during the McDaniel Cochran, you may not, but during the McDaniel Cochran case very close uh, Senate race, they're very close race, and uh, the one of the groups asked for a uh, all of the voter rolls. They asked for the voter rolls, and those include your Social Security number and your date of birth, and then I refused to give it to them. And so we went to federal court through the vote suit versus Hoseman, sued me, and I, I made the stand that Mississippi has uh, the right to protect certain information. The same thing happened uh, 10 years ago when Governor Barber, then Governor Barber, and Attorney General Hood sued to have the courts, the federal district courts, redistrict Mississippi. I took the position that the legislature should redistrict, that that's a state's right to do. And it is. According to the Constitution, the states have the right to redistrict themselves, subject, of course, to the 14th Amendment and the others that, that we do so equally. And without prejudice. Well, in that case, it was me on one side and Governor Barber and Attorney General Hood on the other. But I won that case. It went to the uh, United States Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled that the states had a right, a constitutional right to redistricting. Now you fast forward uh, nine years later after we redistricted and got approved by the United States Department of Justice Civil Rights Division. All of the whole Mississippi was approved for that. We had this one case on this one district in Mississippi, District 22, I think. Uh, It came nine years later when we're fixing to have an election. So I I believe the state has the right to redistrict itself, and I believe that um, this last redistrict in which I had an integral part in and the fact that we went to the Supreme Court over the legislature's right to do it versus then Attorney General Hood and Governor Barber wanting the courts to do it, um, I, I think I still stay with my position on that, and I, I haven't changed any. Uh, our our legislature deserves, and I think Mississippi has earned that right. Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman, thank you very much for uh, for your time today. Thank you. It's good to see you.
Coming up, a school district is taken over by the state. It's a reminder of the haves and the have-nots in public education. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is a show all about the culture of Southern flavor. And on April the 22nd, MPB Think Radio will bring you some of the most delicious radio you have ever heard or tasted. I'm Malcolm White, and I, with my friend, restaurateur Carol Puckett, we will share recipes, stories, and talk with you about food that has shaped your home and ultimately the world. That's Deep South Dining this morning at 9 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Two school districts in Mississippi's Delta region are the first to be folded into a new statewide district aimed at improving academic performance. Yazoo City Schools and the Humphreys County School District have been taken over as part of the state's new Achievement School District. It's a statewide district whose superintendent answers directly to the State Department of Education. The system replaces the old conservatorship model. Yazoo schools have been rated F two out of the past three years. The public school district, which serves mostly black children, was the subject of a Center for Public Integrity investigation in October. Sarah Kleiner is a federal politics reporter with the center. Yazoo City Municipal School District has been rated an F uh, two out of the past three years on the state's accountability system, which under a 2016 law passed by the uh, state legislature there, it qualifies to be taken over. Your article says that last fall there were a series of improvements proposed. What were some of those? The interim superintendent I spoke to wanted to improve morale, um, increase teacher, uh, or I guess decrease teacher turnover. That was a problem where there were teachers uh, quitting kind of in mass, especially at one particular school, and try to raise test scores through uh, improved morale and so I get the state apparently didn't think that was going to be good enough and decided to take over. Your article includes a very startling statistic. In fact, it's pretty close to the top of the article about majority black districts and majority white districts. Can you tell us about that and the disparity? Sure. When you start to look at the state accountability system, every school district is rated on an A through F scale. So A is the best, F is the worst. And if you start to break down the racial composition of the districts, you notice that it, they fall in this sort of diagonal line if you plot this out. And if you, if you go to our story on our website, you can see this graph. If schools that are more than 75% white are rated A's and B's, there are no D's and F's. And schools that are more than 75% black are rated D's and F's, there are no A's and B's. And, and then schools in the middle that, that are very much integrated those kind of are fall mostly in the C range. There are some, some Bs and some Ds, but it really follows this very stark diagonal line. How do you account for that? We talked to some education experts and some folks uh, down in Mississippi about this, and the consensus was that it's still a, a school system that is separate and unequal, um, that the uh, schools that were in, in – some it, it, the issue can be politicized a bit, and uh, some people say, well, it's not an issue of race; um, it's an issue of uh, poverty. It's uh, an issue of income, and while that's true, um, it's we should point out that 
in Yazoo City, the population of people, most of the people who are in poverty are African-American. Um, so race and income are inextricably linked. Um, so studies show that, that students from low-income areas need more funding uh, per student uh, in order to be successful. But in Yazoo City, uh, they spent about $8,000 per student um, the last school year, and that was well below the state average of, uh, it was over $9,000. Yazoo City was second from the bottom in terms of its funding per student. Of the white schools, the ones that are 75% white, is the amount per student significantly higher than its counterpart? It is, yes. Um, so the, the state average is $9,781 per student, and that was uh, in the 2016-2017 school year. That, that's average. So there are schools that are well above that. What are the state or district leaders telling you about that disparity, particularly those school districts that have failing grades? The Yazoo City School District has said in previous news articles and when I interviewed the interim superintendent last year, um, that the state kept changing its accountability measures and the school district could never keep up. It was like, as soon as they tried to figure it out, uh, then the state would change its standards. Um, the mayor of Yazoo City said, you know what, we've got to stop using that as an excuse. This, this is, that, that doesn't cut it anymore. We've got to figure out the root of the problem. The state education leaders said that they didn't feel like it was a, a racial issue. They didn't feel like that it was separate and unequal, but didn't really have a great answer for what, what is causing the disparity between white students and black students. Achievement District is, is a fairly new thing in Mississippi. How many school districts are currently part of that Achievement District? Only two, um, Yazoo City and Humphreys County. Um, and those are the only two that were just this past week uh, brought into this new Achievement School District. The, the state has had a method in the past of taking over districts that were failing. But this, this Achievement District is a brand, it's, well, it, it was passed in 2016 and just now implemented. So it is brand new. What differs it from uh, a state of emergency? So there's going to be a superintendent for the Achievement District. And this wipes out the local school board and fires the superintendent of the local, of the local school district. So Yazoo City School Board and its superintendent have uh, basically been put out of jobs. And now all of that control is going over to the state. Um, the state's the superintendent over the Achievement School District is going to report directly to the Department of Education. Um, so it's, it's basically joining these districts that may not geographically sit next to each other, but um, they are going to be controlled by one, uh, by one person at the top in, at the state. Sarah, are there any other key points from your report you can share with our listeners? Yeah, I think that um, when I talked to a city alderman on Saturday, he said to me, they're going to have to make a believer out of me. And he was referring to the State Department of Education because I don't, I, I think that, you know, he, he said, I don't know what they're going to do to bring us out of an F. And so I think there's a lot of doubt still in the local level that, I mean, there's, there's this acknowledgement. He said, this has been a long time coming. There's an acknowledgement that there's a problem, that the district has been an F and it's, it's struggling. It has struggled for a long time. But there's also this doubt that what is the state going to be able to do to help us that the local folks couldn't. So I think that's something that we're going to continue to watch uh, as this unfolds, is just to see 
you know, what what is the plan? How How is this going to be different? Sarah Kleiner is the federal politics reporter for the Center for Public Integrity. Sarah, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. And you can find Sarah Kleiner's writing on the Yazoo school system and more at publicintegrity.org. Coming up after Everyday Tech, hear about an effort to get unused prescription drugs off the streets before they can become a danger. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Take the greats, Ella, Coltrane, Dinah, Miles, and Monk. Mix in the contemporary giants like Shure, Rittenauer, Crawl, Malone, and Benson. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with Wilkes Couture and Jeremy Thompson. And today we're discussing weather technology. So today we're discussing weather technology and understanding the technology behind the weather forecast. Yeah, there's quite a bit of it there. I've always been really fascinated by the weather myself as well, and especially in our area. You know, we see hurricanes, we see tornadoes, we see flash floods, we see high winds, we see, you know, lightning storms, and there's so much of it out there. And now we can be so connected with so many available apps, it's almost like we've turned everyone into an amateur meteorologist. What we have to be cautious of, though, is to not let that become a false sense of security. We still do need the professionals behind there to make sure that we're making the right decisions. Absolutely. You know, I get uh, attuned to uh, waking up every morning and asking my Echo what the weather's like. And she'll tell me, hey, it probably won't rain today. And it's raining outside. So it's not always the most reliable technology, but it it definitely helps. So it's good to to pull up your weather apps, go to uh, weather.com. And uh, check the forecast yourself. Look at the radar and see what's coming through because maybe the Echo wasn't updated with the current weather yet and it still thought that it wasn't going to rain based on what reports it had. Well, and it's like so many other things. You can't just rely on the technology to be your only tool. you got to still use the best computer of all, which is actually in between your ears. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of computers, when we're talking about online stuff uh, with posts on social media regarding your weather, you want to be extremely skeptical of what you see and make sure that you go and cross-check that with a couple of different sources to make sure that the information is legitimate because it's very easy for disinformation regarding the weather to go out over social media. All it takes is clicking share. Right. And and really, if we think about this, you know, beyond the is it going to rain today or is it going to be sunny and hot, 
what we're really talking about when we're talking about weather and weather technology is we're talking about safety. We're talking about the safety of ourselves, the safety of our family. You know, that's where I'm really curious on the weather. Yeah, and uh, if you don't have a weather app on your phone and you need access to the weather, you can go to Google and put in weather and your zip code, and it will take you right to your local forecast. So what are some apps that people can use to stay weather aware? Well, of course, weather.com has their own app, and there's several other ones out there that some people prefer. Um, personally, on my iPhone, I use the app from Weather Underground. I really tend to like some of their prediction. It's pretty easy to understand. It gives me the information that I need. It has even little widgets so I can get really quick information. So it's always been helpful. I know there are several others out there as well. So are these apps a reliable we always say with your apps, it's good to read your reviews and make sure that it's a legit app because there's always the possibility that somebody could create an app that also has something malicious in it. So definitely read your reviews. Uh, having said that, most of your weather apps should be legitimate. Ultimately, they're going to be pulling their data from NOAA or some other um, official government source when it comes to weather. That's where they're going to be getting their you know storm tracks and radars from. So it's really kind of hard unless they're really going out of their way to be malicious. The problem really comes into in how you're interpreting that particular data. So with all this weather technology, what does this actually mean for the average listener? Well, there is such a thunderous amount of data that's out there for us. But what we run into a lot of times, and this is truly the case with a lot of technology, and that is a lack of a common language. It's much like going in and talking with your doctor about your health care. If you can at least understand some of where they're coming from, it's very hard for you to take an active role in your own care. And that is exactly the same when it comes to the weather. We need to understand what are some of these terms and what are some of these tools that the meteorologists are using so that we can take an active role in keeping ourselves and our families safe. We will talk more about weather technology on Everyday Tech, the show that comes on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. You can send us an email to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Wilt Couture and Jeremy Thompson, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. You're listening to Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Officials in Mississippi are continuing to raise awareness about prescription drug addiction in the state. According to the State Department of Health, there were 180 opioid-related deaths in the state during 2017. MPB's Jasmine Ellis reports. I'm happy to be part of a nationwide solution and toss these. Mississippi Republican U.S. Senator Roger Wicker is demonstrating how people can safely dispose medication in a kiosk at a Walgreens in Jackson. Senator Wicker says on average one Mississippian dies per day from a drug overdose and half of those are from opioids. We have a problem that we are tackling at the federal level with legislation like the Comprehensive Addiction Reduction Act, CARA. But there's only so much you can do at the federal level. This is something that we all need to be mindful of and that we all need to participate in. According to the Centers for Disease Control, on average 130 Americans die every day from an opioid overdose. 
U.S. Attorney Mike Hurst says Mississippi has the fourth highest prescribing rate of prescription drugs in the country. In the U.S. Attorney's Office, we are prosecuting and will continue to prosecute those who deal in or traffic opioids or illegal drugs, including doctors and medical professionals who violate their oath to illegally prescribe these in exchange for money or other things. Chris McLaren is a pharmacist and healthcare supervisor for Walgreens. He says there are things that pharmacists can do to aid in the fight against prescription drug abuse. So you broke your arm three months ago and yet you're healed and you're still taking it. I take it as a personal responsibility to recognize that and have those discussions and just be honest with the patients about it. Experts are asking Mississippians to safely dispose prescription drugs that they are not using. There are 11 safe medication disposal locations at Walgreens throughout the state. Jasmine Ellis, MPB News. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's the all-new Deep South Dining with hosts Malcolm White and Carol Puckett. Then at 10 o'clock, it's Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation, committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates, and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org. 